Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Paige Brogan, who serves as the principal of her Cal AIM for Blue Shield of California Promise Health Plan. Today, when I sat down with Paige, we dug in a little bit to her background and actually a common place that we share with some 626 or San Gabriel Valley connections. And we learn how she ultimately got connected to Kaiser Permanente, played a big role in some initiatives regarding the Affordable Care Act, and now leads an initiative with Blue Shield of California Promise Health Plan, in which they're serving so many beneficiaries here in Medi-Cal with the new CalAIM initiative. We learned from Paige how it's important to have a big heart to serve, but also be financially responsible while doing so. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out other episodes of Pop of Podcast by visiting us on popofpodcast.com, checking us out on our YouTube channel, or listening to wherever you listen to your shows. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy today's episode. Paige, good morning. Thanks so much for joining the show today. Good morning, Gavin. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So one way we like to start our shows, Paige, is we like to get to know the guest a little bit um, outside of the workplace. So can you share a fun fact, a hobby, something like that about yourself? Well, from a very early age, I've always loved to run and been a longtime runner. I've run several marathons. I've done ultras and... I just find it's a wonderful opportunity to not just stay fit, but to engage with the community. And if you think about people that love healthcare, it's they're very much community type people. And running is definitely one of those outlets. Nice. So an ultra marathon, I've probably read about it somewhere, but could you tell us what that is? It's for crazy people. <laughs> um, no, really, it's it's basically a distance that's beyond the marathon. So 50 miles are generally ultra marathons. Wow. So this is 50 straight miles with maybe a break for like water or not even a break. You grab water and maybe a banana as you go. Or do you eat anything in the 50 miles? You you do. And it's actually really funny. You would never imagine this, but runners, typically very healthy people, the snacks they have at ultras are things like Coke and potato chips. Oh, wow. So that's like, is that acceptable or is that just like people regularly sneak that in? Oh, no, it's very acceptable. Yes. Okay. Awesome. You, you need the calories. I bet. Yeah. 50 miles. So what's a, an example of like a, a route that you took for 50 miles? So we did a fantastic ultra put on by quick shout out to Kara Hanniger, who's a fantastic race director here in Southern California called the Leona Divide. And it is in the mountains just to the uh, west of Los Angeles. And it was fantastic. Amazing, amazing life experience. So when yeah. you go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say my other favorite race is I did the original Greek marathon. That wow. was that was definitely incredible. That goes from marathon and into the center of Athens, and you actually finish the race in the Colosseum. Wow! So when you say the uh, the Greek marathon, uh, this is where marathon the term came from, right? Like it's the same path. Yes, yes. This is the classic classic one that Pheidippides ran way back 
thousands of years ago. That is awesome. Well, so what, uh, I know we're going to talk about counting today, but really quickly, uh, what inspired your journey to running? It's a great story. When I was a kid, I had a dog named Cuda Brown, and it was my job to walk him. And I grew up in the foothills of Pasadena, and right next to our home is a fabulous place called Eaton Canyon. And so I used to walk my dog, and we would go up the canyon. and one day I thought, well, why can't we run? And I just started running trails and I fell in love with it. And it's been a part of my, my life ever since. That's awesome. I know Eaton Canyon well. Um, it was very busy during COVID uh, when people were trying to get outdoors. Yep. Um, and folks, uh, before we hit record or, or you listen to this part of the podcast, um, I got to know Paige a little bit and found out that um, she actually, you grew up, it sounds like, in the San Gabriel Valley, 626, and you actually went to Temple City High in the Central Valley, which most people I would guess when I they ask where I live or where I'm from, I say Temple City and half the people don't even know, Paige. <laughs> <laughs> They're uh, missing out. If you want good Asian food, that's where you you need to go. Yes, we were talking about Las Tunas Boulevard and some good dumplings that uh, Paige was mentioning. So you grew up here in the San Gabriel Valley, uh, did some hiking at Eaton Canyon, which is a great place, folks. Uh, check it out, E-A-T-O-N. Uh, Canyon. I don't think you need a, a like a reservation. At one point, you did during COVID. Not sure if you knew that page, but oh, I did not. Yeah. So my family actually and I we went there and we said sorry, or they said sorry, you can't go hiking. You need a reservation. Um, hopefully that's gone. So you grew up in the San Gabriel Valley. At what point, whether it was at Temple City High, prior or after, when was the whole concept of healthcare becoming an interest to you? And we had a fabulous program at Temple City High School. It's called Peer Counseling. And it was a program that was designed by the administration to support student behavioral health, whereby a group of us were actually trained by professional counselors to be peer counselors. And for students that were in crisis, they would get pulled out of class. And one of the students on the peer counseling team would engage, connect, provide whatever support we could. Was it a perfect program? Should teenagers be counseling other teenagers? I'll leave that up for others to decide. But what it did, to answer your question, Gavin, is it sparked this real interest in health, mental, emotional, behavioral health. And as an athlete, I obviously had the physical health component that was really important to me. And when I went to college, that really solidified. I did cognitive science at Occidental College, which has an interesting component for those that are aware of where Occidental plays into the national healthcare story. For those that don't know, um, a our pr previous president who actually launched the Affordable Care Act, Barack Obama, went to Occidental. And so there was just all these layers of interest in health, both behavioral and physical. And then, interestingly enough, during college, one of my summer jobs, I was a temp at Kaiser Permanente doing medical review, which we don't have anymore. But back then, medical review was really an opportunity for insurance companies to look at the applicant and decide, is it really worth the risk to insure this particular individual? 
And I've just fell in love with how we think about people's health. And, you know, I grew up as a young child in the 80s and very much financial acumen and financial gains were considered preeminent. And I started to really think about, wait a minute, we're valuing our bank accounts more than we're valuing our health accounts. And I really wanted to be a part of changing the thoughts around what is really more important. Obviously, we need to have financial you know, supports and abilities to function, but our health is key. I mean, you got to feel good. You have to think well. And that's really what started this journey of a commitment to serving this country to really align on a public health system that is supportive of all. So your your internship at Kaiser Permanente, were you seeking out, you know, the, the healthcare world? Did it kind of fall into place? Because I know you eventually then served there for many years. So tell us how that all came came together. I was very fortunate and I had some amazing mentors when I was at Kaiser and I was able to have my first real job at Kaiser, which was very exciting. So I started out working as a business analyst at Kaiser Permanente and learned a lot about the different lines of business and really fell in love with the medical space and this is again the California version of Medicaid, right? Which is the the federal version, and I know most of the audience is very familiar with this, so I won't go into the the details of Medicaid and how it's different in California. But to me, the idea of figuring out a way to serve our most vulnerable population was really exciting, and to innovate. This was when I first started at Kaiser. This was a long time ago. So we've come so far since then. But there's so much opportunity to serve this population in a way that is both dignified and financially responsible. And Gavin, I want to expand on that point a little bit because, you know, I think one of the criticisms of the Medi-Cal program and Medicaid in general is, you know, it's expensive. It's overly bureaucratic, it's burdensome. And those are fair points, but it doesn't consider what we're really trying to solve to, which is that we can have a social service that does good work and is also financially responsible. Yeah, well said. So you mentioned um, Occidental, you mentioned Barack Obama, Affordable Care Act. There's some connection there. So you served at Kaiser Permanente for a long time, and you were actually part of, you were there during the time of the ACA and the Affordable Care uh, Act. Um, with your role, did you have to interact and, and deal with that implementation? Tell us about that. It was an amazing honor and opportunity to be part of the implementation of the Affordable Care Act. There were a lot of flaws in that implementation, but that doesn't mean it was a bad program. And as many of the folks in your audience are well aware, back in 1965, when Medicaid and Medicare was implemented here in the country, it was not a seamless process. 
And any large-scale initiative is never going to be without fault. However, we all know that it had an enormous benefit to millions of people in this country who didn't have health care. And again, as many of your audience know, healthcare cost is one of the major reasons for bankruptcy for individuals in this country. And I think that the Affordable Care Act was an enormous success in so many ways. It provided not just expansion of care, but it changed the uh, options for care, right? So if you think about this, when Medicaid was first introduced in 1965, it was really for medical services, right? So visiting a doctor, straightforward medical services. In 1981, you have the freedom of choice, uh, community-based waivers, which provided states the opportunity to introduce non-medical services. So services that were not specifically Medi-Cal that you could use for rehabilitation, some mental health benefits, but it was still pretty limited. And then you have the ACA, which came into effect in 2014, whereby the benefits expanded even more. So we're now starting to get to the precipice of where we are with CalAIM in terms of additional mental health services, housing and security services, meal and security services. So we're really looking at whole person care. And that's incredible to think about. We're now starting to really conceive of a person's health is not just going to the doctor, getting a prescription, going to the ER. It's really looking at the entirety of someone's health and how we can not just meet the immediate need, but also prevent future deficits in their mental and physical being. Yeah, good connection there. So you mentioned Cal AIM. So you served with Kaiser Permanente for many, many years. And um, recently you've taken on the role of principal for Cal AIM at uh, Blue Shield I'm probably saying this wrong, Blue Shield of California Promise Health Plan or- Blue Shield of California Promise Health Plan. You've got that right, yes. All right. That's probably the first time I've ever said it correctly. (laughs) I did a few times, but what was the inspiration to take that opportunity after, you know, pretty much your whole life, it sounds like, as a professional was previously at Kaiser Permanente? Because I'm really committed to this population. I think it's, I think it's an exciting opportunity to not only address this particular population, but do it in a thoughtful and financially responsible manner. I really am committed to the belief that social services are not just for those with bleeding hearts. I think that if you bring very smart people with good logic into this game, then you really change it from, oh, we're just giving money away to, well, no, 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 no. How are we really thinking strategically and logically about how to provide services to those that A, need it, and B, don't end up being a drain on our system, right? Because if you think about it, I mean, one of the reasons why Callian came into place was we saw that there were some very high utilizers. ER visits are incredibly expensive. They're also an incredible drain on the resources within those hospitals, You have highly skilled physicians that are being pulled in for cases that probably could have been solved to months before this individual came into the emergency room. 
The other component of Calame that I think is really exciting and important to bring up is the data component. There is a huge emphasis from the state to be strategic about where are we pulling data from, how are we using it, and how are we using it for the betterment of both our members and the providers, the managed care plans, the community-based organizations, all of the players that really are attempting to serve the member. Yeah, so let's talk let's talk through this. So you know, you bring up some good points about the bleeding heart folks who want to serve the population, which is a good, it's great that they have those hearts, but we have to do it in a financially stable way. So one of the things I wanted to ask you was what excites you? Like, let's get in the weeds a little bit. Um, what, so Calum's got a lot going on for it, right? We have, uh, most of the audience will be familiar at this point with enhanced care management, community supports, there's other things happening too. Could you give us an example of what's a new service or an enhanced service that a medical beneficiary can receive and what's the financial gain to the system by giving that person that benefit can you walk us through does that make sense it does and i will say that before i give you an example i will say that we are still waiting for the financial value right we st- we still are waiting for the roi so to speak gotcha Calame just became live, won one of this year. Here we are in June. So we really don't have all of the numbers yet. Yeah. But what I can say is that a number of the Calame programs are meant to be both preventative. In addition, when we think about enhanced care management, and most of the audience here knows this, is that is really approaching what we call our high utilizers, folks that repeatedly use the emergency rooms ambulance services. There's also a lot of um, drug, alcohol, behavioral issues that arise. And so we're really trying to systemically address those so that we don't have folks that are going to the emergency room and costing hundreds and thousands of dollars. Major organ transplant is another good example, right? So if we can address those individuals that have serious medical issues before they need a transplant, and I mean, clearly we can't do that in all cases, but certainly there are some preventative measures that we can take whereby we will start to see a financial advantage. And and when I say financial advantage, I do want to emphasize managed care plans are not in the business of making decisions based on finance. We're in the position of making decisions based on what is best for the member. However, having said that, obviously it's not sustainable if we're just throwing money at members, right? We need to figure out a way how to create a healthcare system that is both beneficial to all of the players involved, right? The managed care plans, the providers, the physician assistants, the county-based organizations, all of the players here, um, and and ultimately serve, serve the member. Okay, so let's talk. So the state is trying to bring in all these new services or enhanced services, which can be expensive for providers to build out. You mentioned data. So we have to have when I say we, my day job is a provider of services. Mm-hmm. You have to build out systems to be able to report on certain things, give demographic 
reporting, things like that that are very important, but expensive. So one of the things California is doing is giving providers some funding or potentially reimbursement for funding to build out their infrastructure. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, some of the funding that's available, for example, the IPP funding? Sure. So the IPP funding is really interesting. So that's the incentive payment program. And that is something that the state designed as an optional opportunity for the managed health care plans. And the ethos here is that if the managed care plans were willing to provide certain services, so some of the community supports, some of the enhanced care management, um, that we would be eligible to receive some payments. And the way we would use those payments is they wouldn't go necessarily to the managed care plans, but they would go to the providers. Yeah. And the providers would use this, this these funds um, in a variety of, of ways, right? So they would use them to build capacity. So for example, there's a provider and they don't have enough staff. So this would help augment their ability to increase resources so that they can provide these services. Would also help augment their data reporting and capturing capabilities, so their technological abilities. And this is an incentive that not only helps them, but it also helps the managed care, managed care plans to support their membership. And the other thing that I want to mention that I think is really key about this incentive program, it's, Gavin, another example of, I think, a strength of CalAIM. And as most of your audience is probably well aware, one of the challenges in Medi-Cal is that it's a very fragmented system, yeah. right? You've got the managed health care plans, you've got the IPAs, you have the county, you've got the state, and ultimately you've got CMS, right, which has to approve all of this program changes that DHCS wants to in, uh, enact. And so one of the things that I think is really key is that CalAIM is really trying to change the game whereby managed healthcare plans are not just payers of record, but we're really collaborators and innovators, right? Ergo, CalAIM, right? Innovating, innovating Medi-Cal. Yeah. And I think that the incentive program you know, really, from my mind, it's it's really about bringing everyone together to say, okay, providers, how can we help you guys through this additional funding? How can we help you? So, and not just help you, but collaborate with you. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I would say, Gavin, is that you see this as well under the Homeless Housing Incentive Program. You see this as well under the Student Behavioral Health Incentive Program, right? Where for Student Behavioral Health, for example, managed healthcare programs are working alongside the local educational agencies. They're working with some of the county behavioral health agencies to ultimately serve the member in a collaborative way. Yeah, really good point. And um, I'm not sure if you're aware, Paige, you mentioned uh, SBHIP or the Student Behavioral uh, Health Incentive Program, something. Yeah. Something like that. Um, 
uh, the, earlier this morning, I should know this uh, because we had a gentleman who you probably saw speak recently at the same conference we attended recently, um, Alex Briscoe from the uh, California Children's Trust. Um, we actually just released an episode with him um, this morning that talks in more detail on what you just touched on uh, for SBHIP. So folks, if you are involved with kids um, or children with behavioral health, it's a great episode to, to check out. That was again released as we're recording this on June 7th. So one of the things you mentioned, which uh, was very nice, Paige, is on, on our show, we've had some great leaders like yourself, but from different angles like Alex on kids specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, your, you know, your role with uh, with Blue Shield California Promise Health Plan is you're the principal, you're the leader, you're the key stakeholder. Um, but you are also looking to others across the state to collaborate with maybe like-minded people with other plans. You mentioned the IPP funding where we have a group called Transform Health who's helping facilitate a lot of these conversations. In your role, who do you look to or what groups do you think our audience should be looking at as leaders or potentially get involved with to kind of stay up to speed with what's happening with CalAIM? I think that's a great question. So there is the advocacy groups, which really pull together all of the managed healthcare plans. So I think, again, in this new framework, the managed healthcare plans are really collaborating and working together. And we're talking to each other about where are the challenges that you're experiencing? And And then we're finding new ground with the state, which I think is very exciting to see DHCS really being willing to come to the table and not just talk to the managed healthcare plans, but really elicit feedback. I think that's one of the things that's been very exciting about CalAIM is consistently throughout the process, they've reached out and said, here's our roadmap, health plans, what do you think? And so there's very much a collaborative effort. I think there are a lot of eyes on California. Clearly, this the Calum initiative is something a lot of other states are very much following in great detail. And one of the things that we're really thinking about is how do we provide this as a model to the rest of the country? Yeah. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. Because even though the Affordable Care Act did a lot of really imaginative and expansive things in terms of providing care for all Americans, we still have a lot more to go, right? Um, We still have people that are not getting the care that they need. And so we're looking to leaders not just here in California, but we're looking to other leaders in other states that have done other innovative programs. Remember, CMS is still heavily involved in overseeing what we do here in California and providing us the opportunity to enact these new changes. I would say the other people that I really look to as I'm looking to hospitals that are doing pilot programs. I'm looking to community-based organizations that are doing pilot programs. I'm looking to those that are coming up with new ideas and thinking, well, let's see here, how can we really reimagine how we're delivering care? And I also am looking at the data because I think that's really where we're going to find, are we doing the right thing or are we not? And when I say data, I don't just mean financial data. Yeah. How are we reaching the populations we need to reach? 
Another component of CalAIM that I think is really critical is this notion of equity and collecting social determinants of health, which helps us figure out, okay, this is the population that's most of need. This is the population that's not getting the healthcare that they need. Why is that? Is it because of lack of access? Is it because we just can't find them? And utilizing that data in order to continue this work. Because CalAIM isn't just a project that we're going to implement and then we're going to walk away from it, right? It's a new way of thinking about how we deliver care. Definitely. And like you said, um, regarding the collaboration, I know that's a term that people might use you know, in different areas, but it's really the the authority, DHCS, in a sense, has really been collaborative and, and open um, to the health plans and also the health plans to us as community uh, providers. I keep saying us because my day job. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been a great. Um, so I mentioned Transform Health. Um, I believe there's another organization that's doing similar work throughout the state, um, DHCS. So guys, if you want to get plugged in to some of these groups that are available to the public, for example, there's a um, there's a new initiative, a population health initiative coming down in 2023 through the state, and they have stakeholder meetings that aren't just for these leaders and are behind closed doors. No, it's open to the public. So literally, uh, audience, if you guys Google CalAIM, CalAIM Population Health. Uh, DHCS, go to the DHCS website, and there is a wealth of opportunities to engage in a lot of these forums. And Gavin, to your point, the majority are open to the public. And, and you know, you bring up a really great point, Gavin, because I've been talking about, I kind of have my sort of industry hat on, right? Thinking about what we're doing from a managed care perspective, what the county is doing. But I think we all have an obligation to really think about what do we want healthcare to look like for us, for our children, for our family and friends, and we, we should get involved. You know, you think about, you know, people who get involved from a consumer protection perspective, right, from a financial view. You know, your, your health is just as important, if not more. So, you know, we should all be in this together. It shouldn't just be the insurance, the providers. It should be every single person in this country should have a stake in their physical, their mental, their emotional health. I agree. And for those of you out there who are like, eh, well, there's too many problems and they do this and they do that, get involved, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, not to get off on a little tangent, but it's kind of like voting, right? It's like, hey, we have the power to make a difference. And so um, I love what you said, Paige. Um, anybody can get involved, be a stakeholder, listen or listen to these stakeholder groups, have input, whether you work in healthcare like Paige or I or not. So well said. Let's let's shift gears. I kind of touched on it a little bit to some maybe some skepticism people might have um, about CalAIM. Now I've been drinking the CalAIM Kool Aid for I don't know six to nine months, and I've been I've surrounded myself due, due to my work around a lot of CalAIM folks like Paige and, and leaders. Um, but I recently heard from uh, a medical director for an organization that had mentioned that he and some colleagues have some skepticism uh, regarding CalAIM and. Um, they're leaning that they don't think it's going to work. Why do you think there's skepticism, Paige? I think anytime a government entity comes in and says, we've got an idea, we're going to implement it, and it's going to work. I, I mean, in the history of 
bureaucracy that's always been, you know, people are always going to kind of scratch their heads and say, well, I don't know about that. Um, and, you know, look, in 1965, a lot of people thought that Medicaid would be a complete disaster. Yeah. And I think there's good reason to think that. I'll tell you why I think that CalAIM will be successful. I think number one is it's it was based off of the pilot program, right? The health homes and the whole person care um, pilot program that happened a few years ago. So they, they started with a good framework of work they had done previously. I think they did a really good job of ensuring that all the stakeholders were on board. Yeah. Um, you know, just to, you know, to any any initiative, anything that you want to do. I mean, let's take a really dumb example. You want to paint your house? Well, if you can get your spouse on board, you're going to have better success with painting your house than if you want to do it by yourself, right? So yeah. they, they did a really good job of making sure that they had good stakeholder engagement. I think that the focus on data was something that also really inspired and engaged a lot of the folks that are in this work because, and, and I want to nuance that a little bit because it's very easy to say, oh, let's get a bunch of data, right? That gets people really excited. Like, oh, we're going to have information, but it's more than just that. It's the state is really trying to think through, well, how do we use that data? Right? Because there's no possible way we can use all the data we collect. So how can we be strategic and smart about how we're using the data and specifically how we're using the data to solve to the member need? How are we meeting the member where they are with the data that we have to solve to what they need, whether it's mental health, um, physical health, wellness, um, you know, other types of services they might need, housing insecurity, food insecurity. And then finally, I think that the idea of the managed healthcare plans, the MCPs being accountable and collaborative is huge. This is, it's, it's really changing the role that the managed healthcare plans have had. And I think that that accountability will really help ensure success. Will it be bumpy? Of course it's going to be. And we already know it's been bumpy, right? We, we've been in this since January and it's been bumpy. Yeah. It, but, but, but just because something's bumpy doesn't mean that it's, it's bad. You know, you, you, we, we grow the more we are in uncomfortable situations. And we, this is uncomfortable right now for the managed healthcare plans. It's uncomfortable for a lot of the stakeholders involved in this. We're all trying to figure it out. But I think from that, we'll, we'll see incredible strengths and gains. And we'll learn from the bumpiness. We'll learn from the mistakes and the places where we sort of misstepped. Yeah, well said on the bumpiness and the openness to admit it. And it's almost like everyone's very comfortable saying it nowadays, which is awesome. Um, um, I've been involved with Calaim for less than you, I'm sure, about six to nine months. And it's bumpy everywhere, you know, and um, people admit it and we're working together. It's great um, that we're all on the same page with the bumpiness a little bit. Um, well, hey, it's been a great. It's been great uh, connecting with you, Paige. Um, audience, I had the chance to meet Paige recently, and um, uh, we had some. The small world, the Temple City connection is just is really. <laughs> cool. A lot of times, I was telling Paige off air. 
when we when we say Temple City, people are like, where's that? Is that like uh, Cathedral City in Palm Springs? No. Uh, mm -hmm. Nice to know another 626 native. Uh, right. And uh, folks, uh, we're actually on the Masky page. Uh, if folks want to uh, keep up the tabs with your work, are you active on any social media or any recommendations? I, I am. I am on LinkedIn. I am on Twitter. I am on Instagram. So. Um, yeah, Paige Brogan, feel free to reach out. All right, awesome. Again, folks, Paige Brogan. Um, you should be able to see her name as you watch. If, you, if you're not watching the podcast and you're spelling it wrong, go to YouTube. Uh, if you're just listening, you can see the way it's spelled. Uh, but again, Paige, P-A-I-G-E, Brogan, B-R-O-G-A-N. Really appreciate you joining the show today, Paige. Well, thank you, Gavin. It was really a pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.